so thankful for the things you're doing in our hearts, Lord, and in our church, Lord. We just surrender completely and wholly to you. Lord, like the song we sang, no power of hell or scheme of man can ever pluck us from your hands, Lord. We just thank you, the promise we have in you. In Christ alone, we put our hope and our trust, and we just thank you for that this morning. Speak to our hearts as your word comes. We give you praise in it, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you all take your seats? Good morning, Family Church. Good morning. Incredible, incredible time of worship. Uh, Before I I begin, we've had a lot of... uh, questions from people. Maybe you were out of town or you just found out about the pledge cards. If you haven't turned in a pledge card you would like to in support of this leadership and this body and what's happening at this church, that is still able to happen. It wasn't just for those couple of days. We still have some of those coming in. So if you haven't, would you, you would like to. Um, we definitely still welcome that. As an update, the pledge cards we did receive, we are still working um, with those in negotiations and just Um, finding out what is best for our church body. And so you're going to hear from us. We're going to talk with you. Um, We feel we are very unified as a church, and we're going to come back, and we're going to talk with the body as a congregation to find out what we need to do as a family. And so um, we are working in that, but if you have a a pledge card you haven't turned in, you may continue to do that. Um, We are so blessed. Just this past week, um, Terry and I just felt led to have a, a prayer just meeting Uh, for our church and and we called a a couple of men. It actually turned out to be about 15 men that represented various ministries and leadership positions here in the church and we just kind of had a secret prayer meeting and um, we were just together and and just a wonderful time with what God is doing and and the sense of spirit among the leadership and the men in the church of of being unified and what God is doing. And so we just had this time of, of prayer and um, we just want to thank you. I want to, I want to thank those men. They ended up laying hands on us in that, in that time. And uh, we just want to thank you for those of you who are supportive and encouraging and uplifting. And that, that is truly the love of Christ working in amongst the church. So we want to thank you for that. This morning, we're going to be in Matthew chapter seven. And Jesus has been teaching us in the Sermon on the Mount about earthly treasure, really about physical things and how we are tempted by physical things. And he's shifting gears as we go into chapter 7. He's shifting gears and he's now talking about personal issues, relational issues, things that we struggle with personally, that all of us struggle with. And I'm actually going to be in one verse today that is, I would say, the most widely used verse out of all the Bible. And it's So widely used, it's actually the most used verse out of context in the whole Bible. This is the verse that Christians use, and we love it, and we talk about it, and we use it most of the time inappropriately. This is also the the verse that most of the non-Christian world knows. Maybe if you've been talking to somebody who's not a believer, they might have said this verse to you. Before we go into this verse, I want to thank God. I want to praise Him for His Word this morning. We're able to hear from God. And I want all of us to come into, come into this place understanding we are going to hear a message from the God of the universe. The God who created you. Which means a couple of things. He wants to encourage you. He wants to help you. He wants to comfort you. But he also wants all of us to grow more like Jesus Christ. 
which means we need to be open for what that sounds like, what that looks like. And we don't know where he may be leading, but we listen to his word and we are open to where anything, listen, we need to understand that when he speaks to us, there's going to be a lot of things going on in in my life. And every time I hear from God, I should be expecting that I have to conform to his image because I'm not there. And all of us need to have that understanding. This morning's verse is Matthew chapter 7 verse 1. Matthew chapter 7 verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. Or judge not lest you be judged is another translation. You hear this all different ways. Hey, you can't judge. Who are you to judge? Hey, you're sinful too, okay? Only God's going to judge me. Maybe if you've been talking to people, you try to confront a sin issue, they say those things. Who are you to judge? And it's so taken out of context that it almost seems like our culture, the only sin that is acknowledged in our culture is calling something a sin. The only intolerance that our culture has is intolerance towards anything. The same in a church. The only thing that a church can be so dogmatic on is being dogmatic on something intolerant. Don't call that. Who are you to judge? Scripture has a lot to say about this. So we're not just going to take this one verse, but we're going to actually break down and understand what this verse means. So we're going to look at verse 1, but we're going to go all the way through the next six verses so we have this in a proper context. So let's begin in verse 1. But before we do that, would you pray with me before we read God's word? God, we do praise you for who you are. God, we thank you for your love and for your grace. God, we thank you for this body of believers gathered here. God, we thank you we can come to you in worship and in spirit. God, we thank you for your truth that is here among us. God, help us to not judge wrongly. Help us as Christians to judge rightly. Help us right now to understand what it means to judge wrongly and what we are called to judge in a manner that glorifies you. It's in your name. Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. So look with me in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. It says this, Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? Now, I want us to see something. Look at verse 3. Why do you take the speck that's in your brother's eye? Jesus just did something. And it's judgment. He, He knows what a good eye looks like, right? And all of a sudden he's saying, why are you looking at something in your brother's eye? There's a judgment call that he just made. And then he says, but do not notice the log in your own eye. How can you say it to your brother? Let me take the speck out of your own eye when there is a log in your own eye. You hypocrite. Is that judgmental? Jesus just called somebody a hypocrite. Would the world say, you can't do that. Who are you to do that? Judge not lest you be judged. Jesus just said, this person's a hypocrite. And if you do this, he's calling you a hypocrite. So Christians are called to judge in a right manner. I just want us to see this because in the same text, he's calling on judgment on people in a right manner. Interesting. It says, first take the log out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Let's move on to verse 6. It continues to spread some light on this passage. Verse 6, do not give dogs. Is that judgment? Jesus just called somebody a dog. 
That's not encouraging and uplifting. He's making a judgment call. Dogs are those outside of the church, the Bible says. Not those inside of the church. And then he says, do not give them what is church. What's he say? Holy. Do not give them what is holy. What is the Bible saying is holy in this passage? We've been looking through verses 1 through 5 on the, the topic of judgment. judgment. And then he says, good job church. Then he says, do not give dogs. Dogs are those outside the church. Do not give them what is holy. What is holy he's talking about? Judgment. It's holy. Let's keep going. And then it says, do not throw your pearls before pigs. He's calling people pigs. Another judgment call that Jesus is making. And then he's actually telling us as Christians to acknowledge who the pigs are and acknowledge who the dogs are, which means we have to make a right judgment on who the dogs are, who the pigs are, those outside of the church and those inside of the church. We're called to judge. There's supposed to be a difference. There's two aisles here. I won't say which one is the godly one, but there's supposed to be a difference of holy, worldly. And he's saying you're supposed to judge pearls. The Bible says pearls. So he's saying that judgment is holy and it's also a pearl. Something of value. Have we ever looked at church discipline and judgment as holy? Do you know that what it means to be part of a church means that actually this is the only place where you get the privilege the pearl, the holy part of righteous, Christianly, and brotherly correction. It's the only place in the world is in a church that is practicing church discipline. And he's saying it's holy. Don't give it to the outside world. And why? Well, let's keep looking in verse 6. It says, lest they trample the pearls underfoot and turn and attack you. So, for example, let's say Terry is a lost soul. He's a pig. He's a dog. Right? Right? Sounds pretty judgmental. And if I go to him and I start judging him, you can't do this and you can't do that, and I'm, and I'm judging him, the Bible says most of the time the world is going to turn and attack you. And unfortunately, this is also what times, happens many times in a church. Just this past week I was with a group of men, not in this prayer meeting, but a group of men from our church, and I got to experience Christian judgment in a right manner take place. And they were together in this group, and one of the men said, Men, there, there's something that I think that we've done inappropriately, and shared a sin that, that was among them. And they did it in a loving way. And what happens next? There was quietness. There was reflection. They said, thank you. And then the next day, there's conversation back and forth, thanking them for calling that out. An apology... And that's called reconciliation. That there was sin, it was confronted in the right manner, and then the person said, you know, you're right. Why would we submit to that from a brother? As a church member, as a Christian, we do that because I want to be more like Jesus Christ. If somebody has something against me, or against Terry, or against any person, and it's a sinful issue, the Bible says you should go to them. Why? Because you love them. And ultimately, we want to become more like Jesus Christ. And we can't do it alone. And, but many times, we cast a pearl before those in church, or in other churches, or the Christian community does, and they get turned and they're attacked. That's what the Bible says the world does to that. Let's keep moving. 
says they trample them underfoot. I want us to continue. We've seen judgment already take place a couple of times that he actually is calling us to judge. It's only in the right manner we are called to judge. So we're going to look at that. But I want us to look at verse 15. Skip down a little bit. In verse 15 it says this, Beware of false prophets. That's another not good name if somebody calls you a false prophet. Who come to you in sheep's clothing but are inward ravenous wolves. How do they know who the wolves are? They look like sheep, the Bible says, but they're actually wolves dressed in sheep's clothing. And he's telling you as a Christian, spot the difference. Keep a a sharp eye and spot the difference. How do you know the difference? Scripture tells us. Look at verse 16. You will recognize them by their fruits. By their fruits. You'll recognize them. Is Jesus calling you? Is he calling me to judge people's fruit? Yes. If, if Terry and I, we, we work together all the time here. If I have something going on, he's called to judge that fruit in my life. If my marriage with my wife, I speak harshly to her, he's called to call it out. And I'm just using him because we spend a lot of time together. But I could say the same with Luke or any of my close friends here. They see something happen because they love me. They're, they're, they're call it out. Keep looking in verse 16. It says, You'll recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit. But the diseased trees bear bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit, the Bible says, is going to be cut down, thrown into the fire. You will recognize wolves... By their fruit. What are their fruit? Is it patience? Is it love? Mercy? Is that what's... You need to be analyzing what's going on in people's lives because the Bible says there are wolves, there are sheep. We're called to see the difference and Jesus is making a judgment call. Maybe you've gone to the grocery store or farmer's market and you're there, you're inspecting fruit, you're inspecting produce, Right? The Christian is supposed to produce in their life good fruit. And you're there and you're inspecting the produce. You're trying to find good and bad and you're making a judgment call. Jesus says in the church that should be happening. But we have to do it in a right manner. Maybe you've seen this done in a a wrong manner. How many of us have seen this done in a bad way, right? It can be very legalistic and very damaging. It's not what Jesus is saying. We're going to get to that. There's also the opposite side of that where it's not done at all. Both of those are not good. Let's keep going. This leads to my first point, which has two parts. A lack of biblical judgment leads to a worldly church. A lack of biblical judgment leads to a worldly church. There's a church in Tennessee right now. They started three months ago. They had one service. Within three months, they had, they had to go to two services. Within three months, they also had to go to three services. This church is exploding. But this church will never be a healthy church. There will always be a worldly church. Do you know why? Because when this church gets together, they don't talk about the word of God. Because it's full of atheists and agnostics. And it's a church for those who don't believe in God. When they come together, they sing songs not about Jesus Christ, but they sing songs, sometimes mockery of Christians, but they sing great sing-alongs. Maybe you've heard things on the radio. They sing things from Journey and all these different places that people love. They come together, they hear this inspirational talk by somebody, and it's exploding in growth. Is this a healthy church? 
They're never going to be able to experience church discipline in a loving, because what is the standard? What is good? They don't have a record of what is good. So they have no reason to do this. But part B of this is a healthy dose of biblical judgment leads to a healthy church. And that only can happen in the context of a church that loves one another enough to talk about sin in each other's lives. And it's not about condemnation. It's about confronting them in love. Why? Because you hurt for them. You don't have to turn there, but listen to 1 John 4.1. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone into the world. John 7.24 says, stop judging by mere appearances. If we judge by mere appearances, this church that's grown to three services in three months, it looks healthy, it looks good. But make a right judgment, Scripture says. So Christians, I want us to see clearly that we are called to do some judgment. But we have to do it in the right way. We have to do it in the right loving way. I want us to turn all to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. This is where a church does some judgment. It says this, I wrote to you in my letter, he's speaking to the church body here, not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexual immoral of the world or the greedy or the swindlers or the idolaters. Since then you would need to go out of the world. So what Paul is saying here is it's not about not being with those people at all because if that was the case you can't even be on the earth because it's so full of that. But he goes on to say, but now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name brother. Meaning somebody inside the church who calls himself a Christian, but they are doing things sinfully. He says, don't have anything to do with them. He says, he is, if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or idolatry or a violer, a drunkard, a swindler, not even to eat with such people. That word idolatry... Idolater really covers everything in the Bible if you're not obeying the word of God. Because you've created an idol, you've created your own religion. It says don't even eat with that person. That just doesn't mean you don't eat with them. It actually says if you're a Christian and they call themselves a Christian, we know from other scriptures you're supposed to go and talk with them. We're going to get to that shortly. But listen to verse 12. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. So I want us to clearly see, this leads to point number two, Christians are commanded to judge those inside the church, not, con not to condemn them. We don't do it to condemn. We don't do it because we hate them. We don't do it because we want them to leave. We do it to restore them because we love them. That's what, that's what a privilege, remember the Bible calls this action, I know many of us push away from this, we, we don't want that in our church, but the Bible says this is a privilege, it says it's a pearl, it says it's holy when it's done in the right context. So we're called to do it, not to condemn them, but to restore them. I want us to turn to Galatians chapter 6 verse 1. This talks about how we are to do this. Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 I don't hear enough pages turning here. 
There we go. Thank you. Galatians 6, 1. I want to make sure you guys are getting good use of your Bibles here. Galatians 6, 1 says this. I'll wait a little longer. They always get on to me. We review these messages every week in staff meeting. They always tell me to slow down, let people turn. So it says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore them gently. But watch yourselves because you will also be tempted. Listen to the wording there. It doesn't say go attack them, go condemn them. It says restore them gently. It also says this person is what? Caught. That doesn't mean that they want to be doing these things and they're doing it and they love doing it. Many times we're caught in a sin and we need somebody's help to get out of it. That only comes from your brothers and sisters in a church. Which is why we so encourage at the beginning of service, get to know some people. Because if I don't have people in my life, I'm doing it alone. And if I'm doing it alone, I'm probably struggling and flailing in my sin. And the Bible says, if you're caught, hopefully you have a brother or sister to come alongside of you. But it also says this, watch yourselves because you're also going to be tempted. You're either going to be tempted not to talk with them. That's a big temptation, right? How many of you have seen a sin and you're like, I, I don't want to go talk to them with that. You're going to be tempted not to do that, which is disobedient to Scripture. Or you're going to be tempted to overlook it and say it's not really that big a deal, which is also not good. Or you might fall into it. All of those are bad decisions. So, we are called to do these type of things. Jesus is showing us what is an appropriate manner to judge and what is not an appropriate manner. And there's really three wrong perspectives that we get that's going to change how we judge inappropriately or appropriately. And the first one is this. When we have a wrong view of God, when we have a wrong view of God, we're going to judge people inappropriately. This is verse 1 in chapter 7. Judge not that you be not judged. Listen, it doesn't matter if it's your way or their way or your mom's way. None of that matters. The only thing that does matter is what? His way. And so, regardless of any of this, you are not the judge. Wrong view of God. Meaning, you don't see God as a judge. You see who is a judge? Me. I'm the judge. I'm the judge in this situation. And many times in my own life, and I would imagine in your life, we get upset over things that aren't necessarily about his kingdom. They're about my kingdom. Right? It can be a preference issue or this or that. And it's not necessarily the word of God that I have an upset part over. It's really about that things weren't done the way I wanted them done. And we have a wrong view of God. I want us to turn to Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14 verse 10 says this, Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. We need to understand God is the judge. Nobody's getting away with anything. There will be a day where he comes and he judges. 
And so we don't need to place ourselves in the position of judge. We need to have mercy for those whose God judgment is going to fall on. That's the way we should see things. When somebody sins against us, it's not about my kingdom. Are we really upset about God's kingdom? Are we upset about my kingdom? Are we upset that things were done in a wrong, sinful way? Are we upset that they weren't done my way? Many times we're upset for the wrong reasons. You need to ask yourself this question. I need to ask myself this question when I get in this type of thinking. Has God made me a judge in that area? Has God placed me as a judge in that area? Maybe I need to step back. Has God put me in a position to judge their heart, their motive, their action? There are some times where he does. Biblically to do so. And if there's a sin that's done and it's clear in the word of God, then you have a right as a Christian. As long as that person is a Christian, right? Remember in the church, anyone who calls himself a brother. But if they don't, then you shouldn't condemn them. That's what the Pharisees did. If anyone wasn't a Christian, they had to act this way and this way and this way. And the Bible says, no, don't, don't do that. So I want to ask you, is there somebody you're upset with today? Is there somebody you're frustrated with? Who are you trying to avoid talking with? Who are you trying to avoid having eye contact with? Do you have anybody in your life like that? And I want, I want to follow up with that question of why. Are you the judge? Why you're frustrated? No, no reason to turn there. John chapter 5 verse 22 says, Not even the Father, God the Father, judges anyone. Not even God the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son. This should petrify us. That God the Father, perfect, is not even willing to cast judgment on anyone. He's reserved that for Jesus Christ. And many times we step in, I step in, and I cast judgment. Which God has said he's not even willing to do. Because he's given that authority to Jesus Christ. So we need to understand we're not in the position of God being the judge. God is the judge. So then each of us will have to give an account to God. Listen church, not, not if it happens, but when. When somebody wrongs you, it's going to happen. I'm sure it's already happened many times in your life. But when somebody wrongs you, you should be so broken for their sin on their behalf. Because in that moment... Who's hurting in their relationship with God? They are, right? Remember as a doulos we learned two weeks ago, a doulos is a slave, a servant of God. As a slave, I've given up all my rights for my King Jesus Christ. I've given them all up. So somebody offends me, do I have a right to be offended anymore? I've given it up. So they offend me. I should be so broken for their soul. I should be so broken because their fellowship with God is broken. And the Bible says, if you have a sin against your brother, to leave the altar and go fix it. I should be so broken for what they're going through, and they may not even see it, that I'm willing to go talk with them, but I have to do it in a right manner. The late Dr. Barnhouse, in one of his books, he's the one who did the Bible study hour and came up with that. He says this, does our criticism arise because there is a profound grief over sin? Is that why your criticism has arisen? Because there is a profound grief over sin. 
Next time you're frustrated, you're upset at your spouse, you're upset at your parents, you're upset at a friend, you're upset at something at the church that doesn't go your way. Is it a profound grief over sin? If it's a profound grief over sin, the Bible says in Matthew 18, you should what? Because you love them, you're going to go talk to them. And if you never go talk to that person, it's not because you love them. It's because you love yourself. And you're unwilling to go talk with them. If it's a profound grief over sin, you understand this relationship they have and that it's hurting and it's broken and they sin. They might not even have seen their sin, but I'm going to go talk to them because I love them and I obey my master, Jesus Christ. Another thing he says is, are we upset by the fact that God is outraged in the great sin that has been done? Are we upset that God is upset in the great sin that has been done? Very convicting questions. And I know many times in my life, it's not about I'm upset that he's upset. I'm upset because I didn't make it to this place on time. Or I'm upset because this person did this or that. And it has nothing to do with God being upset over sin. It's about my kingdom. Let's move on to verse 2. So point number one, we are not the judge. We have to have a right view of God. Verse 2, for with the judgment you pronounced on others, you will be judged. And with the measure you used, it will be measured to you. When we have a wrong view of others, when we have a wrong view of God, it leads to a wrong view of other people. A measure. We just got done, if you're reading through our Bible reading plan that we as a church are doing, we've been reading through the book of Esther couple of weeks ago. And we see this man by the name of Haman and Mordecai. And Haman had it out for Mordecai, an innocent man. And he, he passed harsh judgment. And we see that the measure that he put on him, a measure was a scale. They did everything by scales and weigh, uh, measurements. So if you had a, a wrong measure, supposed to weigh a pound and yours weighed less than a pound, you were cheating people. The Bible says by what you measure people by, you will be measured. And we see that Haman built these gallows for Mordecai to be hung on. And Haman came up with a plan how he was going to be paraded through the city as a great man wearing the king's clothes and the king's ring. But instead, that measure God gave to who? Mordecai. Mordecai was the one who was paraded through the city and Haman was the one who ended up being hung. God measured Haman by how he measured others. So a wrong view of God leads to a wrong view of others. James chapter 4, this is what happens when we have a wrong view of others. I want us to turn there. James chapter 4. Verses 11 through 12. We need to be very careful of this. James chapter 4, 11 through 12 says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. That means in the church, that we are not called to speak evil against one another. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but you are a judge. Remember point one? You've now made yourself in the position of judge. God is no longer judge. You have claimed to be judge. There is only one lawgiver and one judge, he who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? 
That's what God is saying. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. I don't know how much more clear it can get in Scripture than that, but I hear people talk all the time that they hear people talk or they themselves are talking evil against other people and it's even happening in the church. And the Bible says, do not do it. I don't know how much more clear it can get than that. It's sin in the church. It's idolatry. And it's not for the love of God. It's not for the love of the Word. Who's it for? Your love of yourself. And we as a church must clearly see when this happens. Just this past week, we, we continue to hear that there are a few people causing division in the church. The Bible says don't do it. Don't cause division. And I have yet to be talked with, and Terry has yet to be talked with, about major sin issues that are against God. It sounds like preference issues. But they haven't talked with us, and we want to talk with them. So if that's you, come talk with us. But it says, do not speak evil. I just heard from somebody this week that they said they were invited to one of their meetings, and they said, absolutely not. I will not go. Because that is a sinful meeting. That is the type of church member we are called to be. Because this is not about a preference issue. It's about authority of the word of God. Do not sin against one of your brothers. Do not speak evil against one of your brothers. And if they sin against you, the Bible gives provision for that. Follow Matthew 18. It says this, If your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. That's what we're called to do. But if you haven't done that, you're not following Matthew 18. You're committing idolatry because you're doing things your own way. You've taken on the role of a judge. You're proving by your action you don't love that person. Anytime somebody sins against us and we don't talk with them, we're proving we don't love them. And on top of all of that, if you're talking to other people or other people are listening to you, then you're leading other people into all of these sins. We must be careful of this church. We must be careful. We struggle in these areas. None of us should be writing this off because it's very easy for us to gossip about other people or talk about. And here's a quick test. I've been in a lot of conversations where I'm thinking, you know, this borderlines on gossip. And then afterwards, I'm like, you know what that was. And there's other times where you're in a meeting and you're like, time out. I'm not going to listen to that. I know where it's going. That's what we should say. Time out. I'm not going to listen to that. Time out. Just do that action. Time out. If every church member did that in America when gossip started happening, we wouldn't have division in the church. Time out. I'm not going to listen to that. I'm going to glorify God. Here's a test if you're unsure where your conversation or a conversation you're listening to. Ephesians 4.29 says this, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful in edifying, building up that believer, that it may benefit all who hear. For example, if you're talking to somebody it's a conversation that's going to glorify. Let's say I'm, I'm talking to you, Regan. I'm talking about Terry. If this conversation is going to glorify Terry and lift him up, then I can have that conversation. If it's going to glorify everybody around, I can have that conversation. But it says, do not let anyone 
Or do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that all who listen may benefit. So you need to ask yourself, is this conversation encouraging all parties? Is it uplifting all parties? If it's not, then here's a couple of options. We can, we can put these on the screen. These are options God has given us. Number one, you have a, an edifying conversation with somebody. You're building them up. Building up, edifying in speech. Maybe they sinned against you and it's something you really need to talk to. You have a private conversation. That's another option. You can have a private conversation and you, you talk about sin because you love them. Because you want them to be restored in their relationship with Jesus Christ. Because you want to be obedient to Matthew chapter 18. So you talk with them. Or number three, we can have grace. We can have mercy. Right? Somebody can sin against us. We've given up our rights as a Christian, which means I don't have to confront every sin. Listen, if we all had to confront every sin, that's all we would be doing all day. Okay? I sin daily, and there are times where we lovingly confront, and there are times where we overlook. We just overlook those things. So, we can overlook. Or option four, if you do none of those things, you are in sin. That's the, that's the only option. If you don't do those, that means... You're not overlooking it. Maybe you're harboring anger or frustration towards that person. Or you're not willing to go talk with them in a private conversation. Or you're gossiping. Any other thing but those three choices is going to lead you into sin. So we must be careful how we talk to one another. A wrong view of God leads to a wrong view of others. Which leads us, fifthly, to a wrong view of ourselves. A wrong view of ourselves. We think we're superior to everybody else. When God says, you're supposed to love others more than you love yourself. You're supposed to put others first. And he continues to say that in this, in this passage, it talks about a speck in somebody's eye and a log in yours. This isn't like, here's one sin and then here's a really big sin. That's not what Jesus is saying. The speck is like a piece of sawdust. And the log is the piece of wood that the sawdust came from. They're both sin. So Jesus is not saying overlook both. He's saying that the judgment, the wrong judgment of calling out the sin is bigger than that sin will ever be. For example, even in an extreme case of sin in somebody's life, if you come dogmatically and harshly, Jesus is saying that that person who's judging wrongly will always have the bigger sin. Because they're coming at it from the judge's perspective. They're not coming lovingly. And they think too highly of themselves. And he's saying that's always the bigger sin. So we must have a good understanding of who God is. A good understanding of who others are. And a really good understanding of who I am. And who are we? And I am somebody that, that stumbles and fails all the time. I'm somebody that sins against God all the time. So I understand that and I know that and I come to him in praise and honor that he still loves me and still has grace in my life, which allows me to have grace in other people's lives. As Terry said last week, grace receivers should be mercy givers because what God has done in us should lead that as an outflow. Matthew chapter 5 verse 7, Blessed are the merciful for they will receive or be shown mercy. I want to end this morning with a story that we're given in Scripture. I don't want you to turn there. I just want you to listen. 
Because this gives us a right perspective of who God is, who we are, and who other people are. It's in Matthew 18 if you want to write it down. But just listen to the story. It says, Peter came to Jesus and asked him, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. And he gives us this story. I want you to listen. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since the man was unable to repay, the master ordered at once his wife and children and all he had be sold to pay the debt. At this news, the servant fell on his knees before the king and pleaded, I will pay everything back. Have mercy on me. The master took pity on him, canceled all the debt, all 10,000 bags of gold worth, and let him go. The servant went out. He found a fellow servant who owed him 100 pieces of silver. Began to choke him and said, Pay back what is owed to me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell down on his knees and begged him, have patience with me, please. I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown in prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what happened, they were outraged. They told their master everything that had happened. The master called in that wicked servant, said, you wicked servant, he said, I canceled all of your debt because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, the master, representing God, handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back every penny he owed. All 10,000 bags of gold. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. Incredible story that we need to step back of. How much, church, have you been forgiven? How much has God overlooked the sin in my life, overlooked the sin in your life? That we need to step back when somebody says something to us or does something and it riles us up, even if it's a blatant sin against who we are. We need to step back and understand the grace God has shown. The grace God has shown us. In light of all this, who are you unwilling to reconcile with? With how much God has done for you? Who are you unwilling to work out things with? Is there somebody? And by what right biblically can you stand upon the word of God and say, I have a right to push this person out because you have to do it biblically I want us to think I want us just to take a few moments before we go into communion and I want us to really think about who God is what he's done for us maybe we've placed ourselves in a position we shouldn't we need to ask God forgiveness but it's not a, just about a vertical thing with God maybe God's confronting or convicting you that you need to go reconcile a relationship. You need to go say, man, I blew this. Maybe you acted harshly, or maybe you overlooked a sin that you should have talked about. Or maybe somebody came and talked with you about a sin, and it was done harshly, and you need to talk with them. Whatever it is, take some time this morning and spend with your father.
I'll be back up and then, or actually Don's going to come up. He's going to lead us in communion in just a minute. Church, would you pray with me before we are dismissed? God, we praise you for your goodness. God, we thank you for your love, your mercy, your grace. God, we thank you for your word. God, we pray for strength. God, we pray for the ears to hear what we need to hear, the eyes to see. God, we thank you for your sacrifice, your death, your burial, and your resurrection. God, I thank you for this body of believers. God, I thank you for what you are doing and the the many hearts we are hearing transformed all the time. God, that is only because of you. God, we praise you for that. We pray that this week you may comfort us. God, may you show us what you want us to see. God, I pray that this morning's message was exactly the words that needed to be said. May you speak to hearts. God, we love you. We praise you. Without you, we can't do anything. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.